Do you have an idea for a podcast, but you don't know where to start? Maybe you're overwhelmed by all the tech or you're convinced nobody will actually listen to you. Well, I'm Shauna Game. After nine and a half years as a professional podcaster, at this show, everyone's talking money. And 25 million downloads later, let me tell you the secret to a profitable podcast. It is building a solid foundation, your podcast roadmap before you launch. That's why I created the Podcaster Class, a fast-paced group cohort podcasting for profit eight-week style NBA program. The Podcaster Class is immersive, comprehensive, and insanely motivational. If you want to create a podcast, DIYing a launch is just not the way to go. In the Podcaster Class, you'll get the tools, tips, and strategies to create a podcast that resonates with listeners and one you can be proud of. Get this. 90% of podcasters never make it to episode three. That's 2.8 million podcasters who just quit. So to be a top podcaster, you only need to publish 21 episodes, but you got to make them good. So in the podcaster class, I'm taking the mystery out of how to create, launch, and profit from your podcast so you can create a top 1% podcast just like this one. The May cohort is now open for enrollment. Classes start May 22nd. There are only 15 spots open. You are going to learn podcasting with me and 14 other amazing people. You can learn all the details at thepodcasterclass.com. Use code podcast when you sign up for $100 off. That's thepodcasterclass.com. You know, I'm a big fan of enjoying life while still being smart financially. That's why I love ButcherBox. I can get a variety of high quality meat, seafood, chicken, and pork at an amazing value all with exclusive member deals delivered to my door with free shipping always. One thing I just never wanted to cut out of my spending plan is eating good food. And with ButcherBox, I don't have to, and neither do you. Where else can you get free protein for a whole year? Yes, you heard that right. One of my favorite go-to dinners is a salmon bowl. I'm not even a huge salmon lover, but ButcherBox's wild-caught salmon is Oh, so good. I make a nice little marinade, saute some veggies, cook the salmon, and throw in some weiss. And it is an amazing dinner. If you want to take less trips to the grocery store and always have prepared meat in the freezer for a lot less money, you need ButcherBox in your life. Sign up at butcherbox.com etm and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash etm. I remember when I started my company, I didn't know a single female founder. And I knew about like Sheryl Sandberg and Marissa Meyer and those types of people. Um, but I, I personally didn't know someone doesn't mean they didn't exist. It's just not in my circle. Um, and I knew a lot of male founders. So it was very rare. Now, thankfully, there's a ton of women that start companies. That's so fun to see. It's incredibly important. It's means that companies are being started that are, um, you know, more interesting and more applicable to a wider range of people. Um, but the fact that, 2% of venture funding goes towards women is just still totally insane to me. Welcome to Everyone's Talking Money podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Game. 
There's no judgment, no dumb questions, just smart conversations about you and your money. So come on in and grab a seat. Everyone is welcome here. Before we get into this episode, I have got a freebie that you need to grab right now. It's 10 money questions to ask yourself to spend and save with intention. If you're feeling stressed out about money, not sure why you can't achieve your goals, or are just feeling lost, these 10 questions will help you gain a lot of clarity about the thoughts and feelings that might be keeping you stuck. Head to bit.ly slash 10, the number 10, money Q, or just go and click the link in the show notes to grab this freebie today. All right, how does this feel to you? It feels really off to me. 2% of venture capital money goes towards women-owned businesses. Still, in 2023, it's somewhat shocking to me that this number is still so low. Our guest today, Melanie McCloskey, she's co-founder and CEO of Style Seat, which is the premier platform for booking beauty and wellness appointments. She's one of those lucky 2%. She started her business back in 2011, ironically, right next to the two Instagram founders who would ask her thoughts on which Instagram photo filter she liked. But as a woman, though, she has learned how to grow her business from the ground up and push through the boundaries of being a female tech business owner. She's also learned why you need to know how to pitch yourself for venture capital funds the right way and why it's so important to have a good money team in place. She's going to be sharing all the juicy bits in this episode and the money lessons she's learned along the way. So let's start talking. You have talked very openly about the struggle financially in the first years of building your company style seat, which I think any entrepreneur listening (laughs) can probably really relate to that story. You shared that though you wouldn't really recommend how you did it to anyone. I know you lived in a closet for $400 in San Francisco. And San Francisco is, you know, not the place that you think of going to when you need to be like budget friendly when you're starting your business. And I love this. You shared that you put everything on your credit cards and just kind of closed your eyes and hoped it would work out. And I love that because that's, that's the reality. That's the real essence of, of starting a business. You're also a pioneer for women in tech. So we're going to talk all about it. But first, Let's go back to this this story of of you and uh you know $400 in this closet and kind of putting things on credit cards. You know, why wouldn't you recommend that strategy to people who are, who are starting up today? Well, I think it's the privilege of a 20 something, right? right? <laughs> to be able to do that. Uh well, I'd say two big reasons. One is that it's financially terrible idea. It's putting all of your eggs into one basket and it's a lot of risk, right? I think any type of um, personal financial advisor would say this is insane, um, but then you sort of have to be a little bit insane to start a company. So there's there's that. It's just a lot of risk. And the second thing is um, there's other ways to do it. And there's a lot of people out there that can start companies and should start companies that can't take that level of risk. They have kids. Um, maybe they're not in their early twenties where they can always go home and live with their parents. And it's not a big deal. You have other financial obligations, but that's not a reason not to start a business. You just might start it in a more risk averse way. So I'm hesitant to say that to be like, you know, Oh, I'm such a cowboy. I went and did it this way. Cause it's one of many ways that you could do it. And it certainly doesn't make sense for a lot of people and didn't make sense for me, frankly, at the time, thankfully it ended up working out. Um, 
but I, you know, I don't want, I don't want people to get discouraged from starting businesses because it's been one of the big joys of my life. And I think it's a way to, um, certainly not a boring, uh, way to spend <laughs> your time. And so I think if, if anyone wants to start a business, they absolutely should. I, I love that you you said that, you know, somebody in the personal finance world would probably tell you you're crazy. And I am like, you know, the antithesis to many personal finance experts, because I think that the reality in life is that a lot of times we need to spend money or take a risk or do something that like textbook does not look like it makes sense. Yeah. But but that's real life. And that's sometimes what it takes when you have a big idea and you want to, you know, go for it. It, it just doesn't have to always make sense. So, you know, I, I always love sharing that with people and, you know, to not let them be discouraged by somebody yeah. else looking at it and going, this doesn't make sense. Why are you doing this? <laughs> well, that's exactly right. And it's like, you know, how do you make wealth? There's many ways, but I think some of the primary ways are through acquiring equity and also acquiring cash flow. And a 20 something doesn't have a lot of those opportunities outside of going and owning something to kind of get into that mix. There's some very lucky people that work at tech companies and those tech companies go public. There's, you know, it's not to say that it's the only way, but for me, I looked around at the ecosystem, right? And when I started my company, this was 2011, it was a long time ago, but the economy wasn't booming by any means. And I realized, you know, if I want to make wealth for myself, I have to get into the equity or the cash flow game. Um, and starting a tech company is a way to accrue equity over a very long period of time. It's not a fast way to do it um, in most cases, but, uh, you know, that was the path that I chose. Okay. So I know that you studied French in college and, yes. you know, we wouldn't think the normal pathway would be studying French to, okay, I'm going to start this, this tech company. And, and you started Style Seed at a time when, you know, there weren't a lot of other female founders for you to kind of look out in the landscape and see them. Now, of course, that's a little bit different. But I, yeah. I, how did you, I always love hearing these stories. How did you go from studying French to the idea of, okay, I'm going to start this, this tech company and really change this industry. You know, it wasn't, it, it wasn't something that like hit me in the head with a hammer one day. I think it started because naturally a lot of my friends in San Francisco were in the tech industry. I didn't start out in the tech industry. My first, very first job was in PR and, um, I had no passion for it, but it, and frankly, didn't, Quite have the skills for it, but uh, it was just like a, a job that I could get at the time. I felt very lucky to have a job, especially during that time. Um, but in the like night times when I go hang out with friends, a lot of those friends were in tech, and so we would talk about product market fit. How do you create something that's big? What are the companies that need to exist that don't? Uh, you know, what are the big innovations? Where do we think the world is heading? And that was the first time ever that I had, I guess, started talking about topics that really lit me up. You know, technology is so interesting because it's infinitely scalable. And this was less true at the time. It's more true now, but the barrier to entry is not very high for someone to create an app, right? You don't even have to code at this point to be able to do that. And I don't code. Um, but it was something that like was so exciting. And so I would go home and I would think about what companies would I start, you know, what, how would I want to change the world? What type of impact would I want to have? 
And I had the idea for style suit for a couple of years before I started it. Um, but I kept coming back to this feeling of like, you're, you're just a French major. You're not an engineer. Uh, you didn't go to Harvard, Stanford. I just, every time I would get excited and think, Oh, do I think that I could do this? I'd feel this immense doubt, right? Who's going to invest in your company? Who's going to work for you? You know, you'll never be able to get what you need. You're not this like brilliant genius, like all of these other founders are. And I'm putting air quotes in case you can't see. Um, Because it turns out it's not the most brilliant genius people that start companies necessarily. It's a combination of, yeah, maybe some intelligence, but it's, it's getting out there and just doing it. Um, And so I felt a lot of doubt. And, and, you know, one thing that I'm so thankful for with this podcast is you normalizing, talking about finances, money, entrepreneurship, because we need more of that as women, right? Guys talk about it all the time. It's like normal for them to talk about, you know, their investments or what they're interested in, or what do they think about blah, 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 finance topic. And women don't do that as much. Um, It's not that we're not really smart about it, or we don't have, you know, strong opinions. It's just, we don't for whatever reason. Um, And I think because of that in the beginning, I was just really shy about it. I had all of this self-doubt and it took one day when I woke up and I thought I read an article about someone starting this business and the like sadness and just straight defeat that I felt. I threw my phone across the room. I was like, Oh my God, someone else has done this. Turns out they hadn't, I misread it. Um, But it made me realize, wait a second, I'm more scared that someone else is going to start this company than if I started and fail. And that was the clicking point where I'm like, all right, I've decided now that that is the case. I'm going to dramatically simplify. There's no cycling and beating myself up about wanting to do it and I can't do it. I'm just going to do it. And if I fail, it is what it is. Um, And so I was able to take all that energy that I spent doubting myself and second guessing myself and just put it into building the business. Um, and you know, that was, I guess the first step of starting the company. Did you find yourself having to, um, keep telling yourself that I am smart enough? I am, I am good enough. You know, all of those things, uh, you know, throughout, throughout the journey or did it, was it, you know, once you, once you just believed yourself, okay, this is what I'm going to use this energy for, that it was it was easier for you to kind of stay in that positive mindset? You know, I'm not... No. So I constantly have to remind myself <laughs> of this. And I find my natural sentiment isn't like, I'm a badass, I'm the best, and I'm so smart, and I'll handle this. Um, partly because I've always come in through the back door or the side door you know, there's no like red carpet that's been rolled out for me in sort of any situation, which is perfectly fine. I think that actually sets you up to be in a better place than maybe some who had a little bit easier because it gives you this tenacity and grit and like courage that I think it's harder to have when stuff comes to you very easily. Um, but no, I think that the mental challenges and doubting myself and feeling really intimidated by the idea of starting a business. Um, those like areas were actually harder for me in the beginning, like the biggest challenges than like finding an accountant or setting up a profit loss statement or coming up with a strategy for the business. Those things were fun things 
you know, it was the mental yeah. game that for me in the beginning was really challenging. I, I love that you share that with honesty, because I think that no matter what we're trying to do in life, I feel it's so much easier to go to the negative, to the self-doubt, all of those things than it is to choose <laughs> something different. Yeah. We want to choose something different, but it's just, it's, it's, you know, you kind of get knocked around a couple times and you're like, God, it's, it's hard to stay positive. Oh, a hundred percent. And if you haven't done it before, you know, there's this feeling of like, I have read literature for much of my, uh, academic career. I was also a political sciences double major, but still it's not, it's not, I didn't take in finance classes. I didn't know a lot about how finance worked. Um, and so I had to really put the hat on of saying, all right, I need to be, I need to have a very clear mind and clear perspective about what I'm good at, where my knowledge is and what I'm not good at. What I'm not good at, you know, I've never done this before. I'm not technical. Um, I don't have a financial background. I've never raised money before. So let me go find advisors or people that can work with me that can help fill those gaps of knowledge and experience to put me in a strong place. What I'm better at is talking to my customers, product market fit with them, um, understanding their need. No one had thought about my business. It was primarily in a female sector. Um, Less than 2% of venture capital goes towards women and certainly women that are starting companies in female sectors, that's like even less interesting uh, to investors, certainly was at the time. Um, But I see that as a financial opportunity. I'm looking at something that no one else is paying attention to and it's a really big market. So, you know, putting, I think it's really important to kind of look at what you're good at, what you're not, not to think that you'll just wing the other stuff, like go fill in the gaps with, knowledge however you can and then just do it just go go forward right because I kept thinking I've never done it before you know (laughs) this is so intimidating but then I realized like no one's ever done it before until you do it so everyone's in the same boat at some point what would you say are some of if you could kind of encapsulate them like what are some of the biggest money lessons that you learned early on or maybe things that challenged like your belief system around money gosh well you know, I had never really had any money, been around money. You know, my father was a homicide detective growing up. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. It's not like we had a lot of financial literacy conversations or that we had money where my dad was talking about, you know, here's all the investment decisions I'm making, right? That just wasn't part of what we talked about at home. Um, So I think how equity works was really critical. And this is one thing that I would urge anyone who wants to start a company to really understand the founding documents of your business. You know, I went to a lawyer and they were asking me all these questions and I didn't have the answers. And they said, just use this template for all of your founding paperwork. (laughs) And I said, okay, you know, and it's literally 320 pages, right? All of those documents. Um, I wish that I had sought out like what are the five, 10 things terms that I should be paying attention to and make sure that I have those terms. Make sure you have uh, founder stock in the beginning so you can start your QSBS uh, time clock, right? What are the other things? I, I didn't know it and I ended up being in a good position with the documents that I had, but I've talked to a lot of founders, some being women who said, I had no idea. I just sort of started with whatever documents my lawyer handed me to, you know, handed me in the beginning because I'm not 
an expert in this. Um, and that affected a lot of the early terms in their business. Or, you know, when you're negotiating financing and investors are like, oh, yeah, we want this thing. It's totally standard. Don't worry about it. Um, have really good counsel and advice. Understand what those terms mean. You know, uh, don't just sort of trust people because they're nice. Uh, you know, that sounds like an obvious one. But <laughs> these are the things that you learn, right? You start a company because you have dreams and you want to make something real and you want to change the world, not because you're a tenacious contract negotiator, you know, for finance terms necessarily. Um, you just got to learn. So it's one thing. How do you, how do you, like, how do you find the the right people? How do you find the, you know, the answers to these questions specifically if you're, if you're new and just starting out? I would say now there's a ton of education online that didn't, used to be the case. So you can Google, you know, ask your lawyer to break out all of the key terms. And I would do research on your own as much as you possibly can around what those terms mean to help educate yourself. I would then schedule time with your lawyer and have them walk you through those terms, what they mean, the ramifications for you. Um, And I would also talk to other founders, talk to someone not necessarily your investors. Um, they can be great for certain points of advice, but there's some situations in which your interests diverge from your investors. So I would also talk to disinterested parties like other founders that have started companies and run things by them. I think there's a whole community now of people that are so excited to talk and share and help each other in starting businesses. It used to be more adversarial Um a while ago, it felt a little zero-sum game-like, um, but there's a lot of, of support now. And so I would say, seek out that support. Don't be afraid to say, I don't know what this means. You know, I was definitely felt nervous saying that in a room full of 15 men, you know, not feeling ready to negotiate live over a certain point because I didn't know what it meant. It'd be a really niche point. Um, don't be afraid to say, oh, actually, you know, I'm not familiar with that. Can you explain it to me? And feel confident about that. You're not an expert. Don't worry about it. Um, and people shouldn't expect you to be, especially in your first time around. Um, but that's still something that I do today. I'll, I'll talk to my lawyer and I'll say, I'm really sorry. I This might be a dumb question, but how should I think about this? Would, you know, walk through it, uh, walk me through it a little bit. And so um, I'm never afraid to tell someone I, I'm I don't know. not yeah. very smart about a particular topic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I was paying for vacations all wrong. <laughs> I was missing out on miles. I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. I'm going to be real with you. Identity theft is on the rise, and you do not want to wake up one morning and discover that your bank account has been emptied, or you're overdue on credit cards you never even applied for. 
We talk about this often on the podcast, but you don't realize how much of your information is available to scammers on the internet and how susceptible you and your family are to identity theft and fraud. I know, it's scary, but now you can get your data removed with Delete Me. That's why I personally choose Delete Me. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web and in the process helps prevent potential ID theft, doxing, and phishing scams. I just started using Delete Me and I got my regular personalized privacy report. (laughs) I was shocked what they found and removed. It was pages of information about me that I did not want online. Here's how it works. You sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. I cannot tell you how relieved I felt to have Delete Me. And you know, it's also a great service for your parents or grandparents to help protect them from identity theft. Delete Me is not just a one-time service. Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you do not want on the internet. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special price for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com etm and use promo code etm at checkout. The only way you get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and enter code etm at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash etm. Go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use code etm for 20% off. Okay, friend, I want to know, what are your money goals this year? Are you saving to buy a house or maybe a wedding or a dream vacation to somewhere tropical? If that's you, please, please take me with you. Or maybe you want to just grow your emergency fund because let's be real, life is expensive. I want to make sure you reach your goals. So you need Monarch. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top rated all in one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, track progress towards your financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash etm. Here's what I love. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. You can change the layout of your dashboard. You can go between light and dark mode. You can create custom budgets and notifications. You can set up all of these automatic rules for your transactions and notifications and so much more. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving their product. Get this. They release updates every two weeks, and they even allow customers to submit suggestions, vote on requested features, and view the product roadmap. This, my friend, is totally original. Plus, they will never sell your data to third party or show you ads. I think that's really important. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it is the top-rated personal finance app. And now, listeners of this show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash etm. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash etm for your extended 30-day free trial. All right, Melody, it's time to play Your Relationship With Money Is. So question number one, if you were to describe your relationship with money as a cartoon character, what would it be? 
I see money as a tool. I see it as a means to an end, to experiences, to creating businesses, to working with other companies, to helping other companies grow. So what type of cartoon character would that be? I think about um, Tom and Jerry. You know how the cat is always creating traps. I guess it's a bad one because he never gets the mouse. <laughs> but he's always thinking about how can I how can I do a thing and build a thing so that I can get what I want? That's that's how I feel is my relationship with money. All right, question number two. How many times a day would you say you think about money? A hundred million all day. And it, you know, that's the unsexy answer because as a founder, you should be thinking about your customer and your product. And yes, I do. But, you know, the way that we get to do more things, I tell my team, we earn the right to be able to build beautiful and exciting experiences for our community, to be able to have more impact for them, to grow our community. And we earn that right by infusing the business with oxygen, which is revenue. So everything that we do, whether that's how you know, people are spending their time at the company. It can be internal processes. It can be a thing that we want to build. How do we decide building one thing versus the other? It's about infusing that oxygen into the business so that we can have more impact. And, and it's pretty closely tied to either cost or revenue. So it's an unsexy answer, but I am thinking about it all day long. All right. If you had unlimited money, where would the first place be that you would spend it? Either personal, business, just whatever kind of comes to mind. For me, money is about freedom and being able to decide how you spend your time. And I've been in, there's been times in my life when I had no control over my time and and how I spend it. And I know how unhappy that was for me. And there've been times in my life where I have a lot more control and freedom and it's completely transformed my life. And I want to give that to more people because I feel like it would make the world a better place. I think that we could spend our time thinking about solving bigger problems and being kinder to each other. Um, so it sounds cheesy, but I, if I had you know, unlimited money, I would want to financially empower more people to be successful doing what they love and, and to gain that freedom for themselves. That would be, I'd want to have more impact doing that than I do now. I think about that all day, every day. And so I would want to be able to do that at, at bigger scale. All right. Last question. Tell me a money mistake you've made that you wish you could get a do-over for. Um, the belief that debt is bad. Um, like there've been times when I've not used debt to do something and that, that thing drove less return than if I had used debt to do something and been able to drive more more return and a a better financial outcome. So I think, you know, I grew up with the mindset of you don't want any debt. You don't want to put debt on your credit cards. You don't want to take out a loan. You want to just be living debt-free when actually debt can be a really great tool to be able to drive more impact. Well, yeah. I mean, we can't be experts at everything. So I, I love that. And I love, I'm a big fan of just asking questions and you know, yeah. regardless of how somebody interprets that question, um, you know, if you generally don't know or you're curious about something, just 
you know, open end to asking the question and, you know, then you can decipher what you do with, with the response back. Um, another story I thought was really interesting about you getting started. Um, correct me if I have this wrong, but I, I believe that you started style seat, like literally in the same room or across from the two Instagram founders. And I would imagine that had to be, tell me about that. That had to be a really interesting experience. Of course, now in hindsight, we see what Instagram is, but, um, at the time, were you guys sharing ideas or what, what was that like? Yeah. Uh, uh, that's right. Um, you know, they were starting their company at the same time. They're like, Oh yeah, it's this like photo sharing thing, social media. And I was like, Oh my God, that's so cool. In my mind, because I'm an idiot. I was like, how big can this be? Like how big can a photo sharing app be? And they're like, Oh, but you could put filters on it. And at the time we all had crappy phones, you know, with like, pixelated just, and I was like, okay, can't wait to see everyone's terrible photos that they post. Um, (laughs) again, super short-sighted. I'm, I'm an idiot clearly, but it was fun. All of the early filters, they actually did themselves. Um, so they would, you know, I, they'd be like, oh yeah, this is one we're going to call. I can't even remember them now, but like, here's the name. They'd be like, I'd, I'd run over and he'd be like, oh, it has to be more shadowy. It'd be cool if it was a little bit dramatic, like whatever. Um, <laughs> they're really, really sweet guys. And it was so fun. I'm so thrilled to be so wildly wrong um, in terms of how big can it be? Because it's obviously one of the biggest things on the planet. Um, and it's totally changed the way that we communicate and share with each other. And it's incredible. So that's been really fun to see. Yeah, I bet that was just a really interesting experience because when you're talking to other startup, you know, peers, you, no one knows which idea is going to, you know, become the next big thing, really. I mean, everybody is really passionate about their idea, as you should be, but, yeah. you know, you don't really have any context of, you know, what's going to happen a few years forward. And I think that's what makes it really exciting to find a community of peers. I'm wondering if, you know, you did the same thing when you were starting, you know, find, find other, other people with startups and ideas and things like that. And, you know, would you encourage somebody to, to do that, to be able to get, you know, an idea share or have people to, I don't know, walk out your idea, whatever it might be. Definitely. I think it's one of the most important things that I did in the beginning, because you meet other people that are going through the same life experience you're going through, you get ideas, on how to make your idea better. You get inspiration watching people pitch or talk about their vision. It helps you increase the scale of your own vision. Um, You hear stories about the good investors and the less good investors. I tried this thing. There's this term you should think about, or there's this event that I'm going to that was really helpful. I have you met this person. Um, It's so, so important to share. And even on like the emotional side, Starting a company can be very lonely, very draining. You're always going to be the most excited person in the room about what you're starting. Everyone's going to doubt you and think that you're insane or feel neutral about it, right? And that's a lot of energy to put out into the world um, all the time. Yet, when you talk to other founders, they're all doing the same thing and passionate and they know how hard it is. And so to be able to share with them about like shared experience and uh, feeling that camaraderie is just like very energy given in a world where you're always, it's always going the other way. <laughs> Getting sucked. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I want to, I want to come back to this, uh, topic you talked about 
that 2% of venture capital goes towards women. That's obviously a very, very small amount of money that is still, you know, we haven't really seen that grow or change a whole lot. What, why is this happening? Why is this not evolved more from, from where it, you know, was even a few years ago? You know, I have, I have ideas about it. Um, And it's interesting because that was the case. The number was the same 10 years ago and 15 years ago. I remember when I started my company, I didn't know a single female founder. And I knew about like Sheryl Sandberg and Marissa Meyer and those types of people. Um, But I I personally didn't know someone. doesn't mean they didn't exist. It's just not my circle. Um, And I knew a lot of male founders so it was very rare. Now, thankfully, there's a ton of women that start companies. That's so fun to see. It's incredibly important. It means that companies are being started that are, um, you know, more interesting and more applicable to a wider range of people. Um, but the fact that 2% of venture funding goes towards women is just still totally insane to me. I think part of that is because partners continue to be men. Um, and even when partners at venture capital firms are women, they're not always the most senior partners at those firms. They don't have the most decision-making power. Um, I think the other reason is, you know, venture capital is a very specific category of, oh, my light just went out, a specific category of investment um, that is looking for companies that are going to 10x, right? And the whole right. model of venture capital is nine out of the 10 companies that I invest in can fail. If one of them ends up being that 10x business, it, it pays for the whole fund, right? It drives return for everyone else. And so what they're looking for is people that want to start huge companies, want to throw all the money at the wall. Like that train is running down the tracks really, really aggressively. And you're by definition running out of money very quickly and you need to go fundraise. So you talk about how the, the, the company's bigger and we've used all this money and we've driven growth and our idea is massive. And it's just even grown since 18 months ago when we talked to you last, right? Um, and that type of uh, structure is very specific, right? And, and maybe a little more male oriented. Like a lot of, there's a lot of evidence that shows that women, um, companies that are run by women or when there's women on the executive teams, they do well, they have better financial outcome. They run out of money less frequently because women are very pragmatic and they're um, growing revenue and cutting costs. And that's a little bit antithetical to what the venture capital community wants. Yes. Um, ignoring the last 18 months when there's been like, they've pulled the e-brake and it's very different now, but you know, there's this like crazy masculine energy that permeates that category of financing and it hasn't changed. It's just continues to be true. The weather is getting warmer. I'm so excited. And it is time to say goodbye to all those jackets and sweaters and hello to the shorts and t-shirts. I wanted to update my summer workout wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince and I am in love. Quince is your go-to place from everything from premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part of all, all Quince items are priced 
50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Okay, I bought the dreamiest pair of workout leggings and a bright pink workout top to match. Honestly, ladies, I gotta tell you, these leggings you need. The price cannot be beat, and I feel like a million bucks wearing this cozy workout friendly outfit. I've worn it for like five days straight. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash etm for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's q-u-i-n-c-e dot com slash etm to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash etm. Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin, therapist and international bestselling author, here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential. Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds, experts, authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and musicians. They don't just share stories. They reveal the mental strategies that propelled them to the top. But here's the real magic. At the end of each episode, I break down their wisdom into practical therapist-approved advice. In my solo episodes, I dive deep into the techniques that build mental strength. It's like having your own personal therapy session as you discover how to turn these insights into steps you can take right now. This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become mentally stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts. Talking about money is hard. You know this already. All over the world, people are taught to never talk about money, politics, sex, or religion in polite company. On 50 Fires, a podcast about money and meeting from executive producers Chip and Joanna Gaines, host and financial conversationalist Carl Richards will remove money from that list by having Frank funny, and often difficult conversations about money, the kind we're all told not to have, with guests from all walks of life. In each episode, Carl will invite a new guest to answer the question, what does money mean to you? Their answers will reveal much more than their attitudes about money, spanning revelations about identity, community, faith, family, and the true meaning of wealth. Tune in to hear deep conversations about money and the meaning it holds in our lives. You can find 50 Fires on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It makes me think of um, WeWork and, you know, I I loved watching all of the documentaries of the crazy rise and just spending money, spending money, spending money, spending money. You know, people are like, wait, what is the actual business here? It doesn't matter. Spend money, spend money. And then, of course, we know, you know. The demise and it's, it's, you know, crumbled down and then, you know, the founder of it is out there raising money again for something. And it's just it's it makes me think of that when you say that, you know, they're just they're looking for these companies that are going to 10x and just explode and just constantly need money. And it's real interesting to think of that in context to to women and how just not stereotypically, but, you know, if we look at at women, 
we we do we tend to be a little bit more conservative when it comes to money and you know maybe look at it a little bit differently than than men and i could see where that would create like a really interesting dynamic yeah well i can tell you for my business the 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 mindset that venture capital wants is they want it to be binary they want your company to be massive or they don't care it's a thing that they have to explain to their LPs at some point over time that the company is doing whatever. Um, and I would argue it's very risky. It's very binary. And there are many ways to start companies. There's a lot of people that come to me. I'm an early stage investor through Clio Capital. Um, and they're like, hey, I have an idea. When can I raise venture capital? Can you help me think about when to raise venture capital? And my response, which is probably very frustrating, but I believe very strongly in, is venture capital might not be the thing for you. Or think about it secondary, secondarily to building a fundamental business and growing a business. Because once you bring investors on board and they have that expectation of this needs to 10x and you need to go fundraise again in 18 months, that is a train that they're that is rolling down the tracks. And it's a very particular way of running a business that you have to be on board for. Most companies don't use venture capital to raise. And that, when you don't, you have you can have thoughtful investors that have a different return profile. You can run your business thoughtfully, just to say it isn't stressful and there, there aren't a lot of you know challenges in getting product market fit, et cetera. But I guess understanding that there are different paths and all of them can be fantastic paths, including bootstrapping, by the way, which can be slower, but you can have a higher return bootstrapping your business and not taking investment at all. Um, I, I just urge people to explore all paths and know the pros and cons of them versus everyone just thinking that venture capital is like the only way to go. You know, when I started as a, as a financial um, expert, I would I would go into rooms presentations like particularly if it was like male clients where I was presenting a financial plan and they would look at the other men in the room and wouldn't look at me like they were you know she can't possibly know what she's doing like she can't possibly be smart enough to like craft some sort of plan or something like that yeah. and you know so many different stories like that and you know wondering like bring us in the room a little bit as a woman how different is it for you to pitch your business for venture capital? Like, do you feel that essence of needing to kind of overcome some of those hurdles? Or again, has that has it evolved a bit where it's, you know, maybe not quite that experience? Oh, this is such a big question. And it's funny because my husband, um, he grew up with family that was well off. His parents were self-made, um, but he has a very different, uh, he went to fancy schools and he, he has a sports tech company. Um, so he, he's one of the hardest working people that I know, but we laugh because his experience in fundraising, because he's in an industry like every venture capitalist loves sports and wants to be involved in it and loves his stories of how, you know, who he knows, et cetera. And then there's me where I'm like the opposite end of the spectrum. And so we always have really fun stories with each other when we're going through races at the same time of like, you know, how we have wildly different experiences. Um, I have all of the horror stories that everyone's probably read about finding myself on accidental dates 
where someone said that they want to invest in my business and they're, you know, a big partner at a big fund. And then I find myself in this totally different dynamic situation and like having to like literally flee the room. Um, I've, I have dozens and dozens and dozens of those stories. Um, Oh, my assistant needs to come in because I don't understand this industry and she can help me, which is fine, but it's just a little belittling to her and to me and to yourself to think that you don't understand what a, you know, SaaS enabled marketplace is for a sector that's underserved in a massive industry. Right. Um, so I have all those stories. I'd like to say that it's gotten better. I'm not convinced of it. However, what I will say is as my company has gotten bigger, the story has been less of believe in me and my vision and who I am and more of here's the numbers of the business and Mm, here's what we can do. You know, here's what we've done with the capital and here's what we can do with more. Um, And that has been really great to see because, uh, you know, once you have more evidence of putting capital to work and driving growth and driving impact and seeing that, then people, it doesn't matter if they, you know, believe in you personally or not as much um, because they see that you, you can execute. Right. And so I think that that's been a really nice change. Interesting. That's really interesting that you have that perspective of your husband and yourself and and you can cross compare like that. Um, so, okay. All, as a female, all of these, these hurdles exist um, no matter how we're, we're trying to start a business. How do we, this is kind of a big question, but how do we make our business stand out? Like, how do we stand out from the noise, from the crowd, um, from these stats of, you know, 2% venture capital for women? Like, how do we actually stand yeah. out and, and make our business, like, sustainable? Oh, gosh. Well, how do you stand out to an investor? I think, um, first of all, know your numbers extremely well. I Going into any room, I became obsessive about data. Um, the first 40 million that I raised was off of a profit loss statement that I built. And I wouldn't say that it was good, but it was, all right, I'm going to go read 10 types of PLs. I'm going to go through them line by line. I'm going to understand how they're built. I'm going to create my own. Then you know what I mean? Um, so I'd say you have to really obsessive in understanding how your business operates. And once it gets to a certain stage, the key levers for growth the key strengths, the key weaknesses, so that you can speak to them straight on and you can know the numbers up, down, left, right, sideways, upside down. Because the second anyone thinks that you're not numbers oriented or operations oriented, they're going to freak out. And there's a stereotype that women are not math oriented. This sounds insane. I know it's insane, but there's going to be I have experienced bias. I'll just speak for myself. I've experienced bias. And so being able to pop in and be like, actually, let me walk you through that dynamic. I think what you're meaning to say, you know, and like really challenge them on the specifics um, it can only put you in a stronger position. Um, make sure that your branded design is really wonderful. You know, now there's access to better design and branding than there used to be back in the day. So that's wonderful to see that matters to people. I never thought that it mattered. My first time I pitched to VC, I brought up an Excel spreadsheet and just walked him through it. And he was like, this is insane. Like you need to have like slides. And I was like, oh my God, I didn't even know that. Right. Um, So lesson learned. 
I learned that like the sizzle, the pizzazz, the branding is really important. And, and if there is a consumer facing element, it's especially important. Um, and I'd say, you know, strengthen painting a big vision and how you're going to get there. Investors want to feel they want to like you. They want to be excited about the big vision that you're painting. They want to feel that it can be a billion dollar business, whether or not it gets there. And they're not requiring that it gets there to invest, but they want to know that that could be a possibility. Um, and they want to be excited and passionate about what you're working on. So your ability to get them there, you know, I, in the beginning, focused a lot on working with my engineers and doing a lot of the work myself and rolling up my sleeves and knowing the business. I was really intimidated by the storytelling side of it. And that was something that I had to work incredibly hard on. Um, I remember in the beginning having someone pitch my company to me that was really good at this. I recorded them and then I would listen to it over and over. And Ooh, yeah. that helped me. This is this is like just really tactic, tactical stuff because I was so just felt so scared about the storytelling. And that helped me learn the skills and the ways and the intonations and the talking and the, you know, gesticulation and the highs and the lows, and then make it my own so that when I delivered it, you know, it was my version of that. Um, so I'd say if, if that's not something you've spent time on and you're maybe you can use a little support there, like you want to be able to just have someone like leaning in, you know, when you're talking and when you're giving your pitch. So learn, learn how to do that a little bit. Well, we've talked about so much. I'm, you know, as we wrap up here, I'm thinking there's there's somebody, maybe multiple people listening right now that are at the place where they have an idea. They have an idea that they really want to start, lean into, they're passionate about it. Give us a little, I don't know, a little motivation or a little action plan of what are the first things we should do to take that idea and try to make it into something? Well, first of all, I'll say I'm a French major who grew up in the suburbs and didn't code. And I now run a company that I started that has powered $12 billion in revenue for small businesses. We've put $500 million into the pockets of 85% female business owners, 60% underrepresented minority entrepreneurs to help them do what they love and be successful. And I say that because if I can do it, then anyone can do it. Um, I think one of the things that I would say is have a, have a clear vision for where you want your business to be, but also a good plan on how you're going to get there. One of the things that I did in the beginning was I wrote out the 10-year plan for my business, starting with, you know, today at the time. And here's where I wanted to be in 10 years. Here's what I want the company to be valued at. Here's how much money I want to have raised. Here's what it means for scale of, you know, how big our community needs to be. Um, here's the platform and, and what it's going to be at that time. And I took steps back. So from, let's say that's series D, then what do I have to have accomplished by my series C, series B, series A? and understand those different scenarios. And the point isn't that you'll be able to tell the future because you won't. It'll probably all be wrong. But to have that clear vision allows you to articulate it to the different people that you're going to speak to. It allows you to make decisions and think about things 
that will have potentially an impact on the future. When someone says, oh, why are you doing this instead of that? You have that clear vision on how the pieces connect. Um, And for me, I I just found that exercise to be very helpful. That way you're not sort of making it up or pie in the sky or, you know, someone asks you a question, you're like, clearly not (laughs) thought about it, right? You want to always have, you want to always be thoughtful and let people believe that everything is according to your plan, right? And you've already thought through everything. So um, that's a good exercise just to be able to articulate the business in the future, you know, in a thoughtful way. I love Melody's advice about really understanding financial documents. Whether you're starting a business or you're just managing your personal money, really understanding these numbers is important. And the advice to ask questions of people who are in the know, even if the questions might seem silly or simple, I think more information is always more information, specifically when we're talking about money. So, all right, all my future female founders out there that are listening right now, can we do this? Can we change that 2% of venture funds that go to women number? Like, can we collectively, let's at least get this up to 10%. It's time we get more money in the hands of women, especially women that are starting businesses. So just a little reminder from the top of the episode, I've got a freebie you'll need to grab right now. It's 10 money questions to ask yourself to save and spend with intention. You can head right to the show notes and click the link or go to bit.ly slash the number 10 money Q. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend or family member, somebody who else might be another woman business owner who's looking to grab some of this 2% of venture funds. As always, you can head the show notes for all the links to our episode guests, as well as the sponsors who make this show possible. I'll see you back here in a few days for a brand new episode. 